Yeah. Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad, and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to his kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power. Enjoy the message. So the people this so change you this is how you prove it yeah I want to tell the truth hi everyone this is pastor Brad I just wanted to give you a quick heads up about this week's message recording we did something a little different this week with our sermon time instead of a traditional sermon we had people from our church family come and share what God was speaking to them about some from the weeks leading up to the service and then for others right in the midst of our gathering on Sunday so it's not one message you will hear but a handful of different people sharing what God has been speaking Enjoy. Do you believe in power? God gave me this word back in January, the end of January, and um, I brought it to Brad, and we both needed to sit on it and think about it a little bit and figure out what that was going to look like. Um, it's not a particularly easy word for me to give just so that you know <clears throat> but it's not about me so the Lord started off with my children my children I have loved you with an everlasting love and I will continue to love you with that same everlasting love it is being taught that I am a good, good father. This is truth. But it is not the whole truth. It is being taught in the church as a whole that I am a gracious God. This too is truth. But it's not the whole truth. It is being taught that my mercy endures forever. This is truth. But my children, it's not the whole truth. There is little being taught on the fact that I am a just and a righteous God. This is also truth. I cannot allow you to simply continue on the path that some of you are on, believing that because I am a good, gracious, and merciful God, you can do whatever you want, and we will still be good. I am here this morning to bring a holy roar. I am a just and a righteous God. In the midst of my love for you, I am just and I am righteous. In the midst of my graciousness, I am just and I am righteous. In the midst of my love, I am just and I am righteous. 
and I will not. I will not be mocked. My Holy Spirit comes to you this morning not to condemn, but to convict. There's a difference. Condemnation is from the enemy of your souls. And the enemy lies and tries to make you believe that there is no way out. That is not truth. This morning, I bring a spirit of conviction. And when you are convicted by me, there is always a way out. And that way is the way of repentance. Repentance simply means to turn from what it is that displeases or offends me, to ask for forgiveness, and to ask me to help you not to do it again. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect in your own strength. Remember, I am a loving God. Has there been an offense taken? Or is there unforgiveness against a friend, a colleague, or even a family member? Will you repent knowing that my grace and mercy towards you and towards the one that you are having a hard time forgiving is more than sufficient? You need to remember here that forgiveness holds you in bondage. While the other party that has offended you might not even be aware that they have offended or hurt you. The reason I ask you to forgive is because it holds you in bondage. It hurts you. Is there a lack of compassion? Remember my compassion towards you. Repent and ask me to give you a softened heart and commit to allow me to do the necessary work to soften your heart towards others. Is there idolatry? Do you hold anything in higher regard than you hold me? Money, recognition, stuff. Remember, I am your sufficiency. Will you repent of your idolatry and return to your first love, keeping me first and foremost in your heart and in your life? Has there been dishonesty in any way, shape, or form? Remember, I am the God who sees. Will you repent, make amends if necessary, so that our togetherness might not be broken? There are other things I could call to mind. 
pornography, addictive behaviors, a lack of caring. Whatever there is, my Holy Spirit will reveal it to you if you are open. My children, my children, I have loved you and I will continue to love you with an everlasting love. Will you choose to honor me as your just and righteous God? Will you repent, ask for forgiveness, and then for my help in walking forward in a new way? As you do this, you will enter into a deeper and more fulfilling relationship with me than you ever thought possible. if I could ask you all to just bow your heads, close your eyes, um, ignore everything around you. Um, as you hear me describing these circumstances, um, really focus um, on the details of things. So you're seated um, in God's throne room and God has uh, supernaturally given you the ability to look down on earth where God is also watching. And as you look, you see Jesus. He's in a garden and you watch him as he's praying. As you watch, uh, you see Jesus receiving a kiss from Judas, but it's not out of love, it's betrayal. You just watch the first injury of Jesus' sacrifice. You see Jesus being arrested and taken to stand before the Sanhedrin. They lie and they make false accusations, but Jesus just stays silent. Eventually though, Jesus admits to being the Messiah, the Son of God, and he is accused of blasphemy and is agreed by all that he is worthy of death. As Jesus is blindfolded, you watch them spit in his face, they punch him, and they slap him. And then they mock Jesus by asking him to prophesy about who had committed which offense. And you know that Jesus could summon an army of angels right there to protect him, but he just takes it. You watch Jesus being brought before Pilate where he continues to stay silent in front of his accusers. As is the governor's custom, Pilate is going to release one prisoner to be set free. The crowd begs for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. A criminal over an innocent man. And then the crowd begs for Jesus to be crucified. Before Pilate gives order uh, for Jesus to be crucified, he orders him to be flogged. Preparations for the scourging are carried out as you see Jesus stripped of his clothing and his hands tied to a post above his head. The Roman legionnaire steps forward with a flagrum in his hand. You see that it's a short whip consisting of several heavy leather thongs with two small balls of lead attached near the end of each. You watch as the heavy whip is brought down with full force again and again across Jesus' shoulders, his back and his legs. At first, the thongs only cut through Jesus' skin, but as the blows continue, they cut deeper into the tissues, producing first an oozing of blood from the capillaries and the veins of the skin and finally spurting ulterior bleeding 
from vessels in his underlying muscles. The small balls of lead produce large, deep bruises, which are broken open by subsequent blows. You continue to watch as the skin on Jesus' back now hangs in long ribbons, and the entire area is just an unrecognizable mess of torn, bleeding flesh. When the centurion is in charge, sees that Jesus is nearing death, the beating is finally stopped. Our half-fainting Jesus is then untied and allowed to slump to the stone pavement, wet with his own blood. The Roman soldiers see a great joke in this common Jew claiming to be a king. They throw a robe across his shoulders and place a stick in his hand for a scepter, but they still need a crown to make their dress-up game complete. Flexible branches covered with long thorns are made into the shape of a crown and they press it onto Jesus' scalp. Again, there is copious bleeding. Our scalps are one of the most vascular areas of our body and our Lord just continues to take it. After mocking Jesus and striking him across the face, the soldiers take the stick from his hand and strike him across the head, driving the thorns deeper into his scalp. You watch as they eventually tire of their fun and the robe is torn from his back. The robe is adhered to the blood and deep wounds on Jesus' back so that when they tear it off, the pain is awful and the bleeding starts again. You now watch as they force Jesus to carry his own cross, which they tie across his shoulders. You watch as Jesus tries to walk while carrying the cross, but the weight of the heavy wooden beam combined with the pain, the shock, and the blood loss is too much. Jesus trips and falls. His face hits the ground and the rough wood of the beam gouges into the lacerated skin and muscles of his shoulders. Jesus tries to stand, but it's too much to bear for the human body that he's taken on. And he still doesn't call for an army to destroy them. His love for them and for us is too strong. The centurion forces a man named Simon to carry the cross. Jesus follows behind, still bleeding and sweating, clammy and in shock, until the 650-yard journey from the fortress Antonia to Golgotha is finally completed. Jesus is offered wine mixed with myrrh, but he refuses to drink. Simon is ordered to place the beam of the cross on the ground and you watch as Jesus is quickly thrown backward with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depressions at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly but allowing some movement. The heavy beam is then lifted into place at the top of the cross which reads Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Jesus' left foot is now pressed backward against the right foot and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of both feet. Jesus is now crucified. As he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in his wrists, excruciating pain shoots along his fingers and up his arms. You watch Jesus push himself upward to avoid the stretching movement. He places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Now the searing agony is felt in his feet where the nail is tearing through his muscle and flesh. Jesus' arms fatigue and his muscles cramp and throb with pain. You can see that Jesus is struggling to push himself upward. Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercostal muscles can't function. He can inhale, but he can't breathe out. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short, pained breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. You see Jesus intermittently force himself upward to exhale and take short, labored breaths. During these brief and painful moments, you hear Jesus utter a few short sentences. As he quotes the beginning of this 22nd Psalm, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. And one last time Jesus cries out, 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Luke 23, 46. And as you watch, Jesus dies. And never once did Jesus fight back. He endured all of this for you and for me. Jesus paid these horrible consequences so that he could save us. From where you sit in heaven, you look up to where God is seated on his throne. You see the pain in God's eyes as his son asks him, why have you forsaken me? You see the agony on God's face as he watches his son. Take his very last breath on earth, beaten, bloodied, and humiliated. Now we all know that this is not where the story ends. Actually, it's where it begins. But please take this moment to really remember Jesus' sacrifice. Just take a moment to consider what Jesus actually had to endure for us. You have to bear with me. I don't really do public speaking, and I also don't do all the speaking off the cuff. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a very logical person, and I'm a realist. And things—it's a disposition that doesn't lend itself well to being spiritual. Like, there's no logic in God. Like, it, there's, makes no sense that there's a omniscient, omnipresent being out there. Like, from what we know of science, the first law of science is something doesn't come from nothing. Like, um, things don't turn into other things. Things that are dead stay dead. And, you know, it's been a, a struggle just understanding, like, how is this possible? But, but that's the point. God isn't logical. There's no logic in God. God created science. Therefore, he's beyond science. And, and it's just, there's... I guess there's just solace in knowing that you don't have to have all the answers. And normally, normally when someone tells me to do something, I need to know why it's happening. But with God, you don't need to know why. You just need to trust in him and trust that he's beyond logic and he's beyond science and he's there for you. So um, I've been reading, I just finished Leviticus and as we were uh, singing through fullness today. Hmm? <laughs> um, and I think we can really accidentally take for granted how incredibly blessed we are. Um, just reading about all this, the things that they had to do just so that one person could see God, not even that they could see God, just so that Aaron or his son, one of his sons could go enter into the Holy of Holies and go be with God. There's no veil here. 
we don't, we don't, we aren't separated from God from a veil. That veil was torn because of what Jesus did for us. And we can lose that just by accident, just because we know it so well, because we've, we've never lived in anything different. And I think it's so important that we remember what, what Andy was talking about, what Jesus did for us and what exactly that means for us. As Barb was giving us the message from God, there were two scriptures that came to me while I had my eyes closed and I was praying, and they don't seem at all related, but after hearing the messages, um, they do come together. So the first was Psalm 22, and that is um, what the second message was talking about at the cross, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, my God, why would you abandon me now? Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer? My tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night. I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? Yet I know that you are most holy. It's undisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our Father's faith was in you. Through the generations, they trusted and believed in you and you came through. Every time they cried out to you in their despair, you were faithful to deliver them. You don't disappoint them. But look at me now. I am like a woeful worm, crushed, and I'm bleeding crimson. I don't even look like a man anymore. I've been abused, despised, and scorned by everyone. Mocked by their jeers, despised with their sneers. As all the people poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, is this the one who trusted in God? Is this the one who claims God is pleased with him? Now let's see if your God will come to your rescue. We'll just see how much he delights in you. Lord, you delivered me safely from my mother's womb. You are the one who cared for me ever since I was a baby. Since the day I was born, I've been placed in your custody. You've cradled me throughout my days. I've trusted in you and you've always been my God. So don't leave me now, stay close to me, for trouble is all around me and there's no one else to help me. I'm surrounded by many violent foes, mighty forces of evil are swirling around me who want to break me to bits and destroy me. Curses pour from their mouths. They're like ravenous, roaring lions tearing their prey. Now I'm completely exhausted. I'm spent. Every joint of my body has been pulled apart. My courage has vanished and my inward parts have melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched, dry as a bone. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And now you've left me in the dust for dead. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Like a pack of wild dogs, they tear at me, swirling around me with their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and feet. All my bones stick out. Look at how they all gloat over me and stare. With a toss of the dice, they divide my clothes among themselves, gambling for my garments. Lord, my God, please don't stay far away, for you are my only might and strength. Won't you come quickly to my rescue? Give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the power of these demons. Save me from all the power of the enemy, from this roaring lion raging 
against me and the power of, the, the, of his dark horde. I will praise your name before all my brothers. As my people gather, I will praise you in their midst. Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. Let all the true seed of you, Jacob glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offspring of Israel. For he has not despised my cries of deep despair. He's my first responder to my sufferings. And he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time, listening to the song of the afflicted. You're the reason for my praise. It comes from you and it goes to you. I will keep my promise to praise you before all who fear you among the congregation of your people. I will invite the poor and the broken and they will come and eat until satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow with life forever. From the four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all, who takes charge of all the nations. There they are, they're worshiping. The wealthy of this world will feast and fellowship with him, right alongside the humble of heart, bowing down to the dust, forsaking their own souls. They will all come and worship this worthy king. His spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. His generation yet to be born will glorify him, and they will all declare, it is finished. And the other message is from Galatians. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has, for we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. Before we knew God as our father and we became his children, we were unwitting servants to the powers that be, which are nothing compared to God. But now that we truly know him and understand how deeply we're loved by him, why would we even for a moment consider, consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still subject to them? Why would we want to go backwards into the bondage of religion, scrupulously observing rituals like special days, celebrations of the new moon, annual festivals, and sacred years. I'm so alarmed about you that I'm beginning to wonder if my labor and ministry among you was a waste of time. Beloved ones, I plead with you, follow my example and become free from the bondage of religion. So, um, it's interesting to me that some of the scriptures I've had have been so in what other have, people have had. I almost feel I'm standing here being a bit redundant, but I think what it is, is the Lord is actually trying to touch us in a very real way today. He's, he's not just letting it float over the top of us where we could almost say, well, it's okay, I heard that before. No, He wants us to really hear what He's saying. 
And today I would like to reiterate Revelations 3 verse 20, where Jesus said, I am here. I am here. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me, let him open the door and let him come in and I will sup with him and he with me. But isn't it wonderful to know that there is no veil, that we can come into his presence. He wants to come and sup with us. And that doesn't just mean eating food. Of course, I love that. But it also means to just be in his presence, hear from his word, receive the water of life and the blessed forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So um, I would like to start there and I want to read a scripture from John chapter 13. It's not the usual communion scripture, but it's from John chapter 13, the Last Supper. We're having a supper here, and Jesus wants to have a supper with us. And it's not his last supper with us, but it's a supper with us. This word of God says, from verse four, Jesus got up from the meal and took off his outer robe and took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. But when Jesus got to Simon Peter, he objected and said, I can't let you wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. Jesus replied, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing, but soon it will be clear to you. Peter looked at Jesus and said, you'll never wash my feet, never, uh-uh. But Peter didn't say, uh-uh, in the Bible, he didn't say that. But Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share life with me. So Peter said, Lord, in that case, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head too. And Jesus said to him, you are already clean. You've been washed completely and you just need your feet to be cleansed. It's awesome to me. We have been fully washed in the blood of Jesus. We've been plunged into that fountain of Jesus' blood, the best, wonderful, most expensive, I don't know, priceless cost of Jesus' blood. We have been washed. You know what I thought the other day? Do you remember that old song, Victory in Jesus? He sought us, He bought us, and He plunged us to victory. Well, I'm telling you, it's got three tenses there when you think about it. Jesus is still seeking, but He has already bought us. (laughs) And He is also going to plunge those who don't yet know Jesus in His blood. But we who have been plunged in in their blood, all we have to do is have our feet washed. Now you say to me, well, why should my feet be dirty? Well, we walk in the world. And there I've got a thing there. Jesus washes our feet from our souls into our souls. So there's a bit of a, a play on words here. But we can come to the Lord today and we can say, you know, I don't know what this last week has been like for you. But maybe my feet are dusty with disappointment and discouragement. I don't know what else there is. What about we need to get our focus back and we are so discouraged What about having dirty feet from walking in the mud, (laughs) the mud of the world? We need washing from distrust and of dishonor. We have cracked feet. 
that are painful, hurtful wounds. We need ointment and salve to heal us. We have dry feet. We are disappointed. We are hungry and thirsty for Jesus. I don't know if you're like this, but sometimes I'm like this. When I'm having a difficult time, it's almost like I want to retreat into self instead of going to the Lord and receiving from Him because He has everything I need, but I almost feel sorrowful. But that's the wrong way. I have to change that, right? We need His nourishment. We are so dehydrated. We need to be nourished. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to have the Word of the Lord. Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstoneairdrie. Follow us on Twitter at csairdrie. And on Instagram at cornerstoneairdrie. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together. As family, we go.
some 